He is risen. Let's try one more time. He is risen. And yet I still think you have more in you. Come on. He is risen. Amen. Amen. He is risen indeed. We are so glad you're with us here at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, you look good today. I mean, really good. Thanks for being with us. We hope that you feel like you're part of our family today. Feel welcomed, feel loved, and feel a part. We would love for you to be a part of us anytime you can be. Uh, We've been going through a series called Doctrine. That's kind of a fancy seminary word, but what it it means is just uh, the teaching of what we believe, the teaching of our faith. That's all it means. So that's what we've been doing. We've gone through the doctrine of creation, that God created everything. We went through the doctrine of the fall of man, the doctrine of sin, that, that we're all infected with this cancer called sin, and we're all dying and going to hell apart from Jesus, saving us. So the third week we talked about covenants and how God loves us so much that he made a covenant. He made many covenants, but he doesn't even expect us to keep our end of the covenant. He's gonna keep his end of the covenant and our end of the covenant. That's how good our God is. Last week we talked about the cross, the horrible and yet the beautiful cross of Jesus, right? In fact, Jesus, that is God keeping his end and our end of the covenant. Today we talk about resurrection. Can I just say, we talked about the cross last week and what a beautiful and horrible cross. But with all the power and all the climax of history, human history, to the cross, the cross has no power without the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus was still in the grave... If Jesus is still dead, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 15, we of all people are to be pitied the most. This is the way Mark Driscoll puts it in his book, Doctrine. He says, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, no hope of a resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. But he's risen. (laughs) He's risen indeed. That's the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus. Not only did he die for us, but God in his power raised Jesus from the dead. And so because of that, we can have eternal life. I want to talk to you this morning about five quick things about the doctrine of resurrection, okay? Five things. The first one is this. There are prophecies of Jesus' resurrection. If you have your handout, you can follow along with me on there. If you want to take notes, you can. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. The first one is this. Prophecies of Jesus' resurrection. You know, every time we talk about prophecies, my mind is kind of blown a little bit because I can't quite understand how this works. A thousand years, 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, God speaks to prophets and he tells those prophets what's going to happen. And in the case of Jesus, listen to me, every single one has come true. Everyone. It's not like sort of a good record. No, everyone has come true. There are prophecies of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and I mean really specific details of the crucifixion, of his resurrection. Those are found in Psalm 16, Psalm 110 for sure. 
Uh, and I want to tell you a little story about Paul. Remember, we've talked through Paul. We've gone through the, the series of, of Acts, the book of Acts, for the last several years. We're going to be going back into that series in a couple of weeks. I'm excited to finish it up this summer. Uh, but it's been a wonderful series. And in Paul's first missionary journey, he's preaching. And in, in the very center of his preaching is the resurrection of Jesus. And not just the resurrection, but also the prophecies of the resurrection of Jesus. Look with me, if you will, in your Bibles. Acts 13, verse 35 says, therefore he says also in another psalm, this is Paul saying basically many prophecies of Jesus' resurrection. He says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had uh, served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. If you were here for our covenant series, we talked about the Davidic covenant. This is a promise of God. A covenant is the deepest promise you can make. God made this promise with the, with the uh, Jewish people, this covenant with David that his kingdom, his throne would be established forever. But what's interesting in Psalm 16, it says, uh, and Paul is referencing this, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Number one, David wasn't holy, he was human. And number two, when David died, his body decomposed, like ours will, right? That's, that's what happens from dust to dust, the Bible says. So he saw corruption, but it says, you will not let your holy one see corruption. What he's speaking of is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus died, he went into a tomb, his body did not decompose, he was raised, right, to new life. And so this is part of that Davidic covenant. Jesus himself even speaks about prophecies of his death and resurrection. Look in Luke 18 with me. Verse 31 says, and take, uh, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Look at the detail in this. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. All of these things happened. And after flogging him, which happened, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So Jesus refers to the prophecies of his death and his resurrection. The fact that it's been foretold for over 1,500 years. And it happens exactly the way the prophets said. It happens exactly the way Jesus said. So I love the fact that we can look at these prophecies and, and try and wrap our brain around the fact that God has already written this story, right? Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So he's writing this story from 1,500 years ago till Jesus' time, even till now and beyond for all eternity. So it's not just the prophecies that we see. Number two, we also see the promises of Jesus' resurrection, all right? This is when Jesus is foretelling, like he did in that verse in uh, the text in Luke, What's interesting, I'm looking at this. Mark 8, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to be crucified and resurrected. Mark 9, Jesus tells his disciples he'll be crucified and resurrected. Mark 10, it's crazy. He says this over and over again. In fact, verse 33 in Mark 10, he says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Sounds very similar to the Luke one, right? There's probably the same exact moment. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. 
Jesus made it so clear exactly what would happen in this resurrection story, in this crucifixion story. But somehow the disciples, it's like they didn't hear him. It's like they, they missed it. They, they weren't paying attention or something. It's crazy, even though Jesus speaks it over and over again, the foretelling of what's going to happen. Look in John 12, verse 16. He says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. <laughs> I don't know if they just didn't want to believe. You ever heard something and you're kind of, yeah, I don't want to think about that. That's not going to happen, right? They didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, that means when his body was resurrected and he had a new body, when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They remembered all of a sudden, oh yeah, Jesus told us all of this was going to happen exactly the way it happened. Amazing. But what, what my favorite moment of Jesus' promise about his death and resurrection happens in a, a little town called Bethany. Jesus used to love to go to this little town. It's just two miles outside of Jerusalem, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And uh, there's a little family there, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know what I'm talking about? And Jesus spent a lot of time with these three. They were very close to Jesus' heart. And Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick and for a reason that, that Jesus knew, he held back. He didn't, go to, he didn't rush to heal his friend Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. They put Lazarus in a tomb. And Jesus shows up four days later. He's speaking to Martha, the sister. And Martha's kind of the bold, outspoken one, right? So she's a little frustrated. She's respectful, but she's a little frustrated. Jesus, if you'd been here... You could have healed Lazarus. Now he's dead. But you could have healed him. You could just feel the, the angst and the frustration in Martha. And Jesus talks, starts talking about resurrection. And she says, yeah, I know that we'll be resurrected on the last day. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look with me what he says. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says, you don't have to wait until the last day. We can be resurrected right now. And then he walks to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus gets up trying to walk out in grave clothes because he's wrapped up like a mummy. But he's alive. Now, what's amazing about that is that only Jesus can bring resurrection. Only Jesus can bring new life. And what's crazy to me though, even though the prophecies of Jesus have been thousands of years, Jesus himself speaks of exactly what will happen to him and it happens exactly the way he says. There are still people, probably even in this room in this moment, that still debate if it happened or not. There are people all over the world say, ah, I don't know, I don't know if I can believe it. So by God's grace and goodness, he's given us some proofs, some things that, again, if that's not enough proof, he gives us further undeniable proof of his resurrection, evidences, realities that we can look at and go, Lord, it's true. It's real. The first one I've already mentioned, that is, remember when I said Paul was on his missionary journey and the, the center, the crux of his message is the resurrection. Let me tell you why. Because when you think about a man being dead from a brutal death like crucifixion, how in the world could he be resurrected? How is that possible? 
It was as mind-blowing to them as it may be to us. See, there had been men who had claimed to be Messiah, or men who the people said, he must be Messiah, but guess what? He died and he, he didn't come back to life. Many Messiahs, quote, Messiahs. There had been many men who had been crucified on a cross, and they had died on a cross brutally, none of which came back to life. And then there's Jesus, right? The Messiah, the one true Messiah. So he has all this background uh, information, all these prophecies of his life, death, and resurrection. Then Jesus comes and lives it exactly the way they say he will, right? And then he dies exactly the way they say and he says he will die. And then he goes into that tomb for three days and he is resurrected exactly as he said, as they said it would happen. Because Jesus wasn't just another Messiah, he was the Messiah. And the concept, the theme of resurrection was unbelievable. So as, as Paul and others, all the other apostles began to preach and around after Jesus' resurrection, you might remember he was, he was seen for 40 days after he rose from the grave. He showed himself. We're going to talk about that in a minute. People saw him. Hundreds of people saw his resurrected body. And you might remember Jesus says to the, to the disciples, now apostles, and he says, I'm going to send you out. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all that I've commanded you, all that I've taught you. And so they go and they begin to preach and teach to make disciples. What is the center focus of their message? Resurrection. It's resurrection because it's, it's, it's something for there to be a prophecy of Messiah. It's another thing for that man to come and die and then get out of the grave and show himself to hundreds of people. It's a beautiful proof that their center focus of their messages is the resurrection of Jesus. Look with me in Acts 4.33. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. They were all giving their testimony. They were preaching, but their message was the resurrection of Jesus because it was mind-blowing. Here's another proof. At the beginning, uh, at the end of the first century, there began to be these, these things called creeds. Actually, not only to the end of the first century. It, this one specifically, theologians think, began about 30, somewhere around 30 to 36 AD, which is right around uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Paul gives us this creed in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at it with me. And look at the proofs that, that God gives us through Paul here in this text. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, this is the greatest thing I can tell you. This is most important above all things. And it was also given to me that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That means that those prophecies, it's consistent with those prophecies. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with those scriptures. It's consistent with those prophecies. That he appeared to Cephas, which is also Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Here Paul's saying, listen, over 500 people he showed himself to. Some of them have died, but most of them are still living. If you have a question, if you want to know if this is true, if you want to hear first witness 
testimony, go find them. They're there, over 500 of them. Can I tell you, if there was a crime committed today and there were 500 eyewitnesses, that would be an open and shut case, wouldn't it? There'd be no question about what happened. You ask the eyewitnesses and they have a, a similar account, then that's what happened. This is exactly what happened with Jesus. Showed himself to Peter, the 12, more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So here Paul ref re uh, references the prophecies because it's a powerful proof. This is what Paul is doing as he's preaching. He's giving proof that Jesus is Messiah. It's consistent with prophecies and he showed himself as a resurrected savior to hundreds of people, to Peter, disciples, 500 people at once, and to James. Now what's interesting about him showing himself to James is this. James and the other members of Jesus' family doubted that he was Messiah. Isn't that hard to believe? Isn't that crazy? Sometimes in some of our families, some of the people hardest to prove that you can do something are your family, isn't it? Maybe you've experienced that. Mark 3.21 says that Jesus was speaking is with the apostles and Mary and Jesus' brothers come to where Jesus is because he, it says he's talking out of his mind and they're gonna take him home. So how interesting that up until the resurrection, James didn't believe in Jesus as Messiah, but when James saw his brother Jesus who had been crucified and killed, resurrected, James submitted his life not to his brother Jesus, to his Lord and Savior, Jesus. This wasn't my big brother from Nazareth. This is the king of the universe. I saw you dead and now you're alive. James becomes the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes unbelievably influential in the early church. And ultimately he'll, he'll give his life as a martyr. Not because he believes in his brother, but because he believes in Jesus, the savior of the world. Mary, his mother, she doesn't pray to her son because it's her son. She prays and worships Jesus, the savior. Jude, another brother of Jesus, says in the book that he, he authors, it says, Jesus, my savior, not my brother, right? If anybody would, would be able to tell you're a con man, that you're a fake, it's your family members, am I right? I mean, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly, as they say, about your life. And for his family to go, this is not just Jesus from Nazareth, this is the savior of the world. He shows himself in uh, bodily form, a physical body. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 24, I'm not just a spirit, I have uh, flesh and bones. People were hanging on Jesus, they were touching him. He ate uh, bread and he drank and he ate fish. And at one point he says to the disciples, if you're, if you're still struggling, come see the, the wounds in my wrist and my hands and in my feet. And one of the disciples struggled with this reality that Jesus, how could he be alive? His name was Thomas. So he goes to Thomas and he, he knew Thomas was struggling in his heart like maybe many of you even now today. He says, Thomas, come put your hands in these holes in my hands. Will that prove it to you? And if that's not enough, come put your hand in my side where they put a spear through my side and into my heart. Come put your hand here. And, and Thomas, he did it. 
Thomas sees him, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Not my friend I've been with for three years, not my rabbi, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, blessed are you who see. He said, but how much more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. We haven't placed our hands. We haven't touched the the wounds in his hands and his side, yet we believe that he is Messiah. Here's another proof. Jesus' greatest enemy believes in resurrection. Nobody hated Jesus more than Saul. Saul, who later becomes Paul, hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus' people. So he, the, the, the book of Acts tells us he drags people out of their homes, men, women, and children. He kills them. He places them in jail. He travels hundreds and hundreds of miles to chase people down who are living for Jesus until a resurrected Jesus shows up to Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. And that resurrected Jesus, the light is so bright from Jesus, Paul, Saul at the time, falls down. He's blinded. He says, who are you, master? Jesus says, I'm the one you've been persecuting. Jesus. You know what's so amazing about an experience like that with God is Paul is changed for the rest of his life. From that moment on, from that moment, literally just a few days later, he's saved, he's baptized, and in a few days, he is preaching Jesus to the world. He's running from people who want to kill him in just a few days, and Paul will run the rest of his life to give the fact that Jesus has been resurrected, that he's alive, that he's Messiah. So for, G- for Jesus' greatest enemy to believe, what a wonderful proof, right? He goes from persecutor to preacher and enemy of Christ to evangelist. And he makes disciples and he establishes the church of Jesus all the way until the day that he is beheaded because he believes in a resurrected Jesus and he wants the world to know. So he lays his life down as a martyr. What about the fact that the uh, disciples are transformed? Last week we talked about the cross of Christ and one of the things that Jesus felt was abandonment. Because when he was arrested, all the disciples bolted, they left. One even left so fast he had no clothes. just He's out, not gonna get arrested. But something happened in those disciples. That night that that they left, the leader of sort of the disciples, just under Jesus, is is Peter. Jesus told him, you're going to fail me. You're going to deny me three times. And in just a few hours, Peter denies Christ three times. The last one to a little girl. He couldn't even stand up for Christ to a little girl. She says, aren't you with Jesus? He goes, no. And he curses. He fails Christ three times. He was timid. He was afraid. They were all running and scared. And yet, Jesus rises from the grave. He's there with them for 40 days. The Bible tells us that Jesus is explaining the scriptures to the disciples, how it pertains to him all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout. And then we see Jesus give this 
explanation of what's gonna happen to them. They're not gonna be the same fearful disciples anymore. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're gonna have power. It's gonna be like nothing you've ever experienced before and what do we see at Pentecost? Where Peter was hunkered down, failing Christ, cursing out a little girl. Right, and just a few weeks later, at Pentecost, in the middle of Jerusalem, Peter stands up and says, you killed the Messiah. You think that would take boldness? Think that would take guts? It took the power of a resurrected Jesus in him to boldly preach the gospel. That's what caused him to do it. That's what gave him the ability to do it. All of the disciples, listen, every single one was willing to die a martyr's brutal death. And all of them did die by a martyr's death except one, John. And John was willing to, in fact, at one point in, in John's life, he was boiled alive in oil, but it didn't kill him. Miraculously, he lived. Every one of them willing to die a brutal martyr's death. Why? Would you die for a lie that you knew was a lie? Would you die for a con? No. All of them were willing to give their lives to say, he's real, and death won't hurt me because I'll just be with Jesus. I've seen him. I've seen his resurrected body and I'll be like him. And so they weren't afraid and God gave them power. What about the fact, as another proof, the fact that worship changed. See, the early church was a Jewish church in essence. Everybody had come from a Jewish faith in Jerusalem. And so they had 1,500 years of Jewish tradition, worshiping, resting on, on Saturday. But all four of the gospels say that Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week, as Pastor Elvis said, on Sunday. And so from that time, from, from first century until now, we worship Jesus on Sunday morning. They called it the Lord's Day. But can I just tell you something? We'll be here next week, one week from today, Lord willing, worshiping a resurrected Jesus. It's not just today, folks. Yes, this is a special day. Praise God, this is Easter and we, we celebrate his resurrection, but we celebrate that every single Sunday because it makes a difference in us every single minute of every single day. He is a resurrected Jesus. And the church has worshiped him on the Lord's day from the first century until now. It changed, after 1500 years, it changed to Sunday. Not only that, but the Jews began to stop observing the law. How could they stop observing the law? Well, because Jesus met every requirement of the law. Jesus' death, his sacrifice, met every requirement in the law. And so they didn't have to keep those in that regard anymore, but instead they practiced the sacraments of the church, ordinances, if you will. If you were here for our Good Friday service on Sunday, we took communion together. That's one of the things Jesus said to remember me, remember this death, remember what happened this crucifixion. And then every time we baptize somebody, it's remembering and, and, and helping them understand that they've been laid to death with Jesus and raised to a newness of life with Christ. Driscoll puts it this way, in communion, the early Christians remember Jesus' death in their place for their sins. In baptism, they remember Jesus is resurrection in their place for salvation and anticipating their personal future resurrection. 
Here's another proof that I want to explain to you. Christianity is the most important, the gospel of Jesus is the most important and prolific truth in the world. Research says that there's almost two and a half billion people who claim to be Christians in the world. That's a lot of people. I hope they're all truly believers in Jesus. But that, you can't deny the fact that there's something, God has done something amazing from Jerusalem to, to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? That here we are in Little Rock, Arkansas, worshiping a resurrected Jesus. And we've not seen ourselves those wounds, and yet we believe. But can I tell you, there's one believer I know, and it is maybe the most important testimony I've ever heard. See, this guy was an idiot. <laughs> this guy was a sinner. He struggled with sexual addiction, alcohol abuse, shame, sinfulness, and he is me. And I can give you a lot of scripture and I can give you a lot of truth this morning, but what's most important that you need to know about me is that Christ has saved me. He has changed me. He has resurrected me. And of all the people in the world that I know, guess who the strongest testimony is to me? Me. Because I know who I was. I know who I was. I know who I've been and I know who I can be. I'm not perfect. Oh, but I know the resurrection power of Jesus. He's redeemed me. He's changed me. He's given me a hope and a future because of the blood of Christ and his resurrection. Do you know him? Do you know him? Here's the fourth thing I want to say this morning. It's the power of Jesus' resurrection. What I just talked about, that's the power of Jesus' resurrection, that change that occurred in those disciples, it's the power of Jesus' resurrection. Romans 8, verse 11, I wanna read this to you in the message. I just like the way Peterson puts this in such an understandable way. 8, 11, it says, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself when God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with his spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ's. The same power that resurrected Jesus can live in you, can give you life. If you don't know Christ today, it can give you eternal life. It can take you literally from spiritual death to spiritual life. If you are in Christ today, it can give you this power to live for Christ, to honor him with your life, to not have to struggle forever with addictions and issues and faults, but to grow into this grace-giving freedom of Jesus that makes us more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Let me just ask you this question this morning. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? Are you sure that you know him today? Because I want you to know the Bible tells us there is great power in the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That may be the most important thing you've ever heard. If you're watching this morning, that may be the most important thing you'll ever hear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hallelujah, do you believe? Do you confess? And if you don't, you can. And the resurrection power of Jesus can raise you up. But let me ask you this, maybe you are a believer in Jesus. Maybe you have trusted him before and you know him, but you're struggling. You're making some bad decisions. You're not trusting him. You're not believing the truth of the gospel. You're resting in your own strength. You're believing some of the things the world tells you instead of the things the Bible tells you. This is what Paul says to us in in Colossians chapter three. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, right? If you've been saved and raised to newness of life with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are this earth. See, some of us may have prayed a prayer at camp. We made a decision at church one day and we think, hey, we're good, I got fire insurance. I pray that, I pray that you do. <laughs> but salvation is so much more than just a prayer. It's a life. Because when we repent, which is what we have to do in order to truly trust Jesus with our lives, we turn from who we've been and we start becoming who God wants us to be. That's called repentance. And so if you're just trusting in a little prayer and not resting in a lifestyle of who Christ is making you, you may not know Jesus. And maybe you think you've been saved and you're, you're living a life that doesn't look anything like a Christian. Friend, can I tell you, if you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above not of the junk of this world. It's the reason we did this whole series on doctrine. Let us, let us have our hearts, our minds, our lives on the things of God to be raised with him because Christ expects people who know him, that's a resurrected people, to live like a resurrected people raised up with him. Where are you today? Do you live for him? Do you serve him? Are you found in him? Are you in Christ? Or is it just a word that you said a long time ago, a promise you made that doesn't have any effect in who you are? Here's the last thing I wanna share with you this morning. I wanna share with you the pattern of Jesus' resurrection. The pattern. Friends, we will be like him. Just as he was resurrected, we too will be given this life. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I like the way Paul puts that. In fact, (laughs) he has no doubt. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or, or died. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. You might remember, remember a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this seminary word, imputation. You remember that? It's a big word, $3 word. What happens is Adam made a choice to sin, and when that happened, he imputed to the rest of humanity sinfulness. 
We're all infected with sin, right? Because of Adam's choice. But, but imputation works both ways, so watch this. So after Adam imputed sin to all of humanity, God in his grace imputed all of humanity's sin from Adam onto a dying, crucifying cross of Jesus. All of our sin he imputed to Christ to die for us. And then again, he imputes Christ's righteousness onto us. So in the same way that that Adam represents sin, Jesus represents salvation from that sin, freedom from that sin. And so the way Paul is explaining this, he, he, he uses a farmer's term, first fruits. If you're a farmer and you're, maybe you're growing fruit trees and you wanna know what this year's gonna be like, what's this crop gonna be like? And he goes out and he grabs a couple of the, the apples or whatever the fruit is and he tastes it. And by, by seeing what that first fruit is like, he'll be able to tell what the rest of the, the crop will be like. In the same way, Christ representing salvation, he's also representing resurrection. So Christ has died and he's resurrected the first of the rest of the crop of those who believe in him, right? That's us. So as Christ is raised and has a resurrected body, we too will be raised with Christ and be given a resurrected body. I want, to, I want you to look at this text real quick before we close. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, so, it, uh, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is talking about the second coming here. For the, the, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? See, what happens is when we die, we go to be with Jesus if you know Christ. The Bible tells us to be uh, separated from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when Jesus comes again, he reunites our soul and our physical body, and we are resurrected imperishable, just as Paul said. Can I make this really personal this morning? You see, I've lived 47 years to celebrate Easter. This one's different. This year it's different. On January 10th, I lost my mom. And I'm a mama's boy, like something fierce. I lost my precious mother, and I'm struggling with it. I've had a hard time. I've mourned her loss. But don't be fooled for a second. These tears aren't just because I miss her. These are tears of joy because I'll see her again. See, she's just like you. She's, she was a sinner who was saved by God's grace and goodness. And when she died, immediately she went to be with the Lord. She used to have leg problems. It's hard for her to stand. 
walk very fast. She has no problems anymore in her legs. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and she began to show signs of that. She has no more mental problems anymore. She has no more sickness, no more tears, no more issues. She's made perfect, she's made new, and she's with Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Christ, because of her faith, she died suddenly, we didn't expect it. And you don't know the moment that you will go and be with Christ. Or you don't know the moment that you will die and go to hell. Friends, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, you don't just die once, you die twice, the Bible says. You die once here as a human body, and then you die for all eternity in hell if you don't know Christ. Do you know him? There's not a more important question for you to ask your heart today. Do I know Christ? Have I trusted him? Have I repented? It's the most important thing we'll talk about today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close? Just want to ask this question very honestly, and some of you are struggling even this morning as we're talking. The Holy Spirit may already be moving in your heart and your soul. Where are you at today? What, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I just want to know, would you be brave enough to say, you know, I'm not sure. I just don't know. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Would you just pop up your hand real quick and say, I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna bring you down the front here. I just wanna pray for you in a moment. Would you say it? I'm just not sure, Drew, would you pray with me? I don't know if I'm gonna go to heaven or not, I have no idea. As the Spirit of God is moving on you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't let this day pass away if there's conviction on your heart because you may not have that conviction tomorrow. I'll ask one more time, is there anybody here that would just say, I'm not sure, would you pray for me? Just pop up your hand and put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Real quickly. Okay. Praise God. Well, the rest of you, maybe you're sitting there, you're saying, listen, I know that I know that I belong to Christ. I know that I know. But I also know that my life is not exactly where it needs to be with Christ. And I need to live in that resurrected power a little more than I have. Would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hands? That's me. Pray for me. It's not about me seeing. It's about you acknowledging it for yourself and saying, God, I need your help. Thank you. The beautiful truth of the resurrection of Jesus is that he has put death to death. <laughs> and for those of us in Christ, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid of these worldly things. We know that God's got a, an appointed time, his word says, for our death. And we can stand in that truth and we can live for him and we can love him without fear until that moment. just want to pray a prayer. If you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, I, this is what I'm going to suggest for you. You can just borrow my prayer, okay? You can just borrow my prayer. Just pray after me. But you need to believe in your heart. If you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you do that right now and borrow this prayer, believing in your heart, God will save you. Let's pray. Even online, just pray with me. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for someone like me. I believe that he died on a cross, that he took on all of my sin, and that he made a sacrifice for me. Lord, I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I believe that right now you can raise my life from the dead to give me life in Jesus right now. Please save me. Please forgive me. Please help me to live a life that is not about me, but about you for the rest of my life. Change me now, God, by your grace. I believe. For those of us who are struggling, we just need to trust his power. Trust his grace a little bit more and walk in him more. Would you just, just pray a prayer right now? Father, I want to pray for my friends who are struggling, who are at a place of difficulty trusting you. God, there may be people here living in outright, unrepentant sin. I pray that you would make them miserable, Lord. <laughs> that they would have to come to a place where they, they have to surrender to you, Lord. That they have to say, God, forgive me to do so that it would save their lives from hell. God, the Christian shouldn't have habitual sin in our lives. So Lord, if there are people here that are struggling through an habitual sinful situation, God, by your grace, would you draw them to yourself? Put a community of believers around them that challenge them, hold them accountable, they can confess to, it's called the church and help them to become the people of God, the resurrected people of God you want us to be. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much, God, for raising your son on the third day and giving us his power to live for you. Raise us with Christ to trust you with all that we are and all that we have. And Lord, if there's anything between us right now, anything we need to confess, anything we need to to seek you about, Lord, I pray that we would do that. In these next few minutes as we sing this song, God, may you be lifted up as you move in this place by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen.